Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. My younger sister and I have always been interested in the paranormal. So, for my 27th birthday, my sister surprised me with a weekend trip to a small tourist town about two hours away from our house for a haunted ghost tour of the town's oldest buildings. It was the beginning of October, so the timing was just right. For a little backstory, This town is known for its well-preserved 19th century buildings, and Ulysses S. Grant lived there for a time after the Civil War. It was also a mining town for Native Americans and settlers. Today, it is a popular tourist destination for shopping, golfing, drinking, and its haunted locations. The ghost tour started at a small shop at the end of town and my sister and I were quickly gathered in a fairly large group of other paranormal enthusiasts. The owner of the shop, we'll call him Mark, was our tour guide for the evening. He was a native of the town and knew the ins and outs of every building. We were excited to hear scary stories about these old buildings from someone who knew what they were talking about. We were visiting three of the most haunted buildings throughout the night. Our first stop being a building that was converted into a wine bar. Mark encouraged us to take lots of pictures in case we caught any orbs or apparitions. I wish I could tell you the rich history and haunted happenings that went on there, but what happened to me and my sister pretty much clouded my memories of that night altogether. Mark placed several EMF devices on the table in front of us and invited us to share the devices and use them around the wine bar. He explained that a green light meant it was on. A green and yellow light meant mild activity. And green, yellow, and red lights, along with a beeping noise, meant paranormal activity. My sister and I turned to each other with excited expressions on our faces. We thought we'd be sitting around listening to stories all night, not going ghost hunting. I was a little skeptical about using the device, not out of fear, but I didn't think they actually worked, just based on the silliness of ghost hunter shows on TV. But when was the next time I would be given this opportunity? Might as well try. While everyone started at the front of the store, we went to the back to start our investigation. The wine bar was pretty standard, 
but the back area was a little odd. It had a storage closet and an exposed staircase that led to nowhere. There was no door at the top, and there was no second level to the bar, so the top stair was just above the ceiling. It was very odd. My sister started scanning the area and got little to no activity on her device. I decided we didn't have any restrictions and opened the door to the storage closet. The closet was empty and pitch black, and a feeling of existential dread washed over me. Suddenly, the silliness of these devices didn't seem so silly anymore. There was no way I could convince myself to step inside the closet, but I needed to know if this place was actually haunted. Sure enough, as I slowly stuck my arm into the closet to get a reading on the EMF device, it lit up, green, yellow, and red, and then beeped so loud it was almost comical. My sister and I both let out some pretty embarrassing shrieks, which alerted the rest of the group of our findings. I jumped back from the closet and slammed it shut, and my sister and I were both spooked, to say the least. Mark and the rest of the group came over and asked what happened, and when we explained, everyone wanted to turn to examine the closet. Surprisingly, though, No one else's EMF reader lit up the way mine had. I watched everyone go in one by one, but nothing ever happened. My sister took the opportunity to start snapping as many pictures as she could, and even went as far as ascending the staircase to nowhere to take a few shots. The entire ordeal left me feeling uneasy for the rest of the tour, so much so that I don't remember the rest of the stories Mark told, or what we learned at any other building. The next morning, my sister and I woke up in our hotel room and rehashed the night. It wasn't until that moment that my sister remembered all of the pictures she took. She started scrolling through and gasped at what she found. In the picture was the staircase to nowhere with what looked like a hand gripping the banister, as if walking down the stairs. I asked, were there any designs on the banister? It might be a raised piece of wood. And she said no, it couldn't be. We decided when we were shopping in town that day that we'd stop in at Mark's store and show him what we found. When we went inside, He recognized us right away and asked us what we thought of the tour. We told him we were thoroughly spooked and showed him the picture. I assumed he'd brush it off because we certainly weren't the only ones that found ridiculous coincidences and pictures after the ghost tour. But Mark stared silently at the picture on my sister's phone for a long time. We stood there as he examined it and after a while, he lifted his head and quietly asked if we could please email the image to him. When I asked if he had ever seen anything like this, he said no, 
people from the tour usually just catch orbs or think they found something, but nothing as clear as this. My sister sent off the picture right away, and he said he was going to show it to the owners of the wine bar. While we never received an update after finding this hand on the staircase, I still get a little uneasy whenever we go back to that town and visit the wine bar. A year before I was born, my mother was walking by a pet store and saw a black kitten. She instantly fell in love and brought her home. We named her Millie. When I was an infant, Millie would always leave me presents under my playmat as if to tell my mom, you clearly need some help taking care of this baby. She was the motherly type. She was a fantastic hunter always sneaking out of the house to wander around our suburban neighborhood and seek out some presents for her family. She even brought my mother a bat one time. She always kept a watchful eye on the family. My sister has epilepsy, and Millie has been known to wake my parents up when my sister was having a seizure. She was my first pet and basically grew up with me. Millie was in our family photos and annual Christmas cards, unless she got wind that we would be taking it, and then she would promptly hide. When I was 13 years old and about to enter high school, she rapidly became ill. It turned out that she had oral cancer and was put to sleep that night that my mother drove her to the emergency vet. We were all devastated by her loss. A few months later, my mom decided that it was time to adopt another cat. My family has a special love for black cats, so it was a no-brainer that our next cat would be black as well. We adopted a kitten named Layla, who was as wild as you can imagine a kitten being. She loved sprinting around the house, hiding in places she wasn't supposed to, and of course jumping onto the furniture. One afternoon, I was walking up the stairs to my bedroom. At first glance, I thought that I saw Layla preparing to jump onto my dresser. I was used to scolding her for jumping up on things that she wasn't supposed to. I yelled, Layla, no. But as I entered my bedroom, I realized nothing was there. I know for a fact that I saw a black cat jumping up. I think that it was Millie appearing before me one last time, maybe even crossing over. She knew we had another cat to watch over us, and she could move on. I do believe animals have souls, or at the very least, some sort of spirit like we do. I hope we reunite with her in the afterlife someday. In 2015, life led me to the University of Alaska Fairbanks, a place quite different from my Southern Californian upbringing. Excitement and nerves blended together as I embarked on a new chapter in life. Seeking knowledge and experiences in this 
chilly, sub-zero world. As I settled into the dorms, I found myself assigned a quiet roommate, someone who kept to herself most of the time. During those initial weeks and months, life at the university appeared uneventful, with the frosty cold becoming a familiar companion. Bundled up in my oversized coat and trusty, albeit inexpensive, Walmart snow boots, I braved the freezing temperatures daily to attend classes, grab meals, and socialize with fellow students. However, amidst the seemingly mundane routine, a series of peculiar incidents began to unravel, leaving me perplexed and unsettled. It all started when I would wake up to blood-curdling screams piercing through the silence of early mornings, or sometimes a whispered, Hey. Confused and disoriented, I would search for the source of the noise, only to find that I was the only one awake. My roommate was often absent during these episodes, either spending time next door with her boyfriend in his dorm room or peacefully asleep. The mysterious occurrences repeated themselves several times, leaving me searching for answers and desperate to unravel the energy that surrounded me. Then, a recollection of whispered conversations resurfaced in my mind, tales of a visiting student who had been tragically murdered on the same floor where my dorm room was located. Her lifeless body had been discovered in one of the bathrooms, just a few steps away from my own front door. Sophie Sergi, a young Alaska native student, her murder remained unsolved for over 20 years, haunting the dormitory and leaving a lingering sense of unease among those who heard the stories. Could it be her restless spirit that was haunting our dormitory? The thought sent shivers down my spine, intertwining my curiosity with a hint of trepidation. The oddest thing was that, despite the eerie nature of these encounters, fear was not the predominant emotion I experienced in the presence of this ethereal entity. Instead, a sense of unease and empathy enveloped me. Gradually, I grew attuned to her ghostly presence, perceiving her lingering spirit within the walls of the dorm building. The laundry room, an ordinary space for most, became a hotbed of inexplicable encounters, as if she sought solace amid the whirring machines and piles of freshly washed clothes. And in the sanctuary of my own dorm room, I could almost feel the weight of her otherworldly visits. However, the story of my dorm experiences took an unexpected turn during the summer following my first year when a new roommate moved in. Let's call her Maria. Maria's arrival brought a new level of fear and uncertainty into my life. She displayed erratic behavior randomly screaming and mumbling to herself. One night, I woke up to find Maria staring directly at my face, her gaze intense and unsettling. At that moment, 
I couldn't shake the feeling that Sophie, the ghostly presence I had become acquainted with, was trying to protect me from Maria's unpredictable and threatening demeanor. The fear I felt from my living roommate far surpassed any apprehension I had towards the supernatural. I knew I had to take action to ensure my own safety. With a racing heart, I confided in a close friend who happened to be a resident assistant in the dormitory. I shared the distressing details of my encounters, expressing my genuine fear that if I remained in that room, my worst nightmares might become a horrifying reality. Recognizing the urgency of the situation, my friend swiftly arranged for my transfer to a different room, sparing me from the impending danger I had sensed. The relief that washed over me upon moving to the new room was immeasurable. It was a sanctuary where I could finally find solace and escape the unnerving presence that had haunted me for so long. As I moved on from my college years, the unresolved mystery surrounding Sophie's murder continued to weigh heavily on my mind. I searched her case for news updates occasionally, hoping for a breakthrough in the case that had haunted the dormitory for decades. It was during the pandemic that justice was finally served. Sophie's murderer was apprehended, bringing closure to a chapter that had remained open for far too long. Although I had long graduated and embarked on a new phase of my life, the news of Sophie's killer being brought to justice stirred a mix of emotions within me. Relief, closure, and a touch of lingering sorrow. The truth that emerged shed light on the importance of addressing unresolved cases and the need for thorough investigations. However, alongside these emotions, a surge of anger engulfed me upon discovering that Sophie's murderer was not a passing motorist, as authorities had initially claimed but rather a fellow student living in the dorms. This revelation exposed a deep-seated frustration as it became evident that the investigation had been botched and perhaps not given the attention it deserved, possibly due to Sophie being Alaska native. The realization that her case may have been overlooked or treated with less urgency due to systemic biases only heightened the sense of injustice surrounding her tragic demise. Looking back, I find myself strangely missing Sophie's presence, the mischievousness that seemed to permeate even in her afterlife. It is a testament to the profound impact her spirit had on me, urging me to confront the injustices that plague our society. As I reflect upon the experiences I had within the walls of that dormitory, I can't help but acknowledge the lasting imprint she left on my life, instilling a sense of empathy and determination to fight for those whose voices have been silenced. So, to Surfy Sergi and her grieving family, I extend my heartfelt gratitude for the justice that was finally served. May her spirit find peace, and may her story continue to inspire others to seek truth 
demand justice, and ensure that no life is forgotten or dismissed. In sharing this account, I hope to honor her memory and shed light on the importance of addressing unresolved cases. I'd like to preface this with some background context to better understand my story. My family and I have always, in the words of my grandmother, had an active third eye for spiritual energies. Being raised by Filipino immigrants as devout Roman Catholics at the time, good and evil spiritual beings were things that we deeply believed in. My family and I could probably fill a whole book on the paranormal, occult, and spiritual encounters that we've endured and still do. And somehow, by some spiritual link, if one person were to encounter something, we would all collectively feel it. This was most apparent between my three other siblings and I, who grew up incredibly tight-knit. Now, nearly my entire young life spanning from 6 to 22 years old, I have experienced sleep paralysis on a daily basis and had the habit of sleepwalking from time to time. In addition to all that, I also sleep with either my eyes half open or fully open. So, you could probably imagine how creepy it would be for one of my sisters to see me in the middle of the night, idly standing with my eyes fully open. I'm riddled with weird habits, I know, but... My sleepwalking adventures are a story for another time. Being that my sleep paralysis was something that I lived with daily, I grew quite used to these instances. Believe it or not, you can actually train yourself to induce sleep paralysis, which was something I did to better understand what could trigger my experiences and pull me awake from it. What some don't realize is that sleep apnea or the lack of proper oxygen to the brain can also induce sleep paralysis. Growing up, I only ever slept on my back, a common position in which sleep paralysis can occur, and with my head facing the ceiling. I knew that this position would produce another experience, but it was the only way I could fall asleep comfortably when I was younger. I've seen shadow people, humanoid beings, and even beings consisting of just bright light during these events, none of which scared or bothered me as long as I adhered to the two main rules that my grandmother, the head of the family, instilled when encountering anything. One, never talk to or acknowledge them. Two, never appear afraid. These beings or hallucinations, as medical doctors would probably call them, would never usually interact with me, aside from standing at a distance, or, at times, their form would glitch in some way. I did start to notice that, as I got older, these things would draw closer and closer, little by little. Again, never interacting with me, just watching. Now, this particular experience that I'm about to share comes with the reminder that you can become vulnerable at any point during sleep paralysis, regardless of how experienced you may be with it. Six years later, this event still terrifies me. During the late summer of 2017, I was coming up on my final six months of the military. I had been stationed at a military base down in Southern California and had to actively document my sleep cycles 
due to recent unknown interruptions that would wake me up at any hour of the night. This was something one of my doctors instructed me to do as homework, to understand my sleeping patterns. Overall, my sleeping patterns sucked. I was slated for a weekend duty shift that month. Basically, a 24-hour shift that consists of patrolling around your designated building facility and ensuring that no one was doing anything stupid. It usually starts at 7 a.m. and ends the following day at the same time. Being higher in rank usually meant sacrificing your weekend to watch over unpredictable drunkards. Zero out of ten would not recommend it. Occasionally, people would stop by the duty desk to chat or even drop off goodies to help you get through the entirety of the shift. Sometime in the late evening, a few of my friends who I had let borrow my car that day stopped by to drop off my keys. They stood, holding back laughs and giggles before placing the keys on the metallic desk. You've got to go check out your car, my friend Bryce piped up. My smaller and more mature friend, Maya, rolled her eyes and stated, These dumbasses thought that it would be a grand idea to wrap the inside of your car with condoms. Military pranks, I know. Now, I've been pretty sleep-deprived over the past year on top of working this 24-hour shift, so I was a bit cranky up until this point. I'm not too entirely sure what exactly was said, but I did exchange some pretty unfriendly words with these guys, which at the time was probably blown out of proportion on my part. Thankfully, it was never taken too personally since they're pretty familiar with my wacky sleep schedule and left me to finish out my remaining hours of my shift. By the time the following 7am rolled around, I was heading back to my barracks room, already unbuttoning my uniform, looking forward to completely racking out for the day. The keycard to my door had the terrible habit of wiping the access info on the magnetic strip almost every week, meaning I'd have to reset my card to get into my room each time, which in turn was an incredibly tedious process to go through. So instead of resetting every week, I taped the latch on my door back to avoid being completely locked out. This meant anybody could pull on my barracks room door and it would open without fail. Not the smartest method to go about it, but being on a somewhat secure military base, I didn't think too much of it. The layout of the room consisted of a short hallway, the bathroom to the left, and two closets to the right. This eventually opened up at the end to the sleeping comfort area with two beds on opposite corners and only one window illuminating the room. Being that I was a bit higher in rank, I was allowed to have this room all to myself. I kicked my shoes off as soon as I entered the room, dragging my feet towards my bed before toppling over onto the soft sheets. I didn't bother taking the rest of my uniform off, aside from my blouse as priorities were focused on taking the fattest nap possible that day. My bed, located in the corner nearest the hallway and facing the window, was pushed up against a concrete wall. It was illuminated by one lone window and appearing hallway light that I had left on walking in. So any kind of movement in the room was illustrated onto the wall, like a shadow movie. Getting comfortable, I adjusted my body to where I now lay on my right side, facing the wall intending on playing on my phone before actually settling in for a much-needed nap. Before I had even gotten the chance to pick up my phone, I suddenly heard and felt some sort of buzzing sound or feeling. 
I don't know how else to explain it. Not like the sound or feeling of a vibrating phone, but more like a tingling, buzzing sensation that didn't seem to be coming from anywhere. It felt more like it was coming from inside of me somehow. At the same time, I felt the air shift as the sound of my door opening whooshed through the room and I heard footsteps down my short hallway. The shadows against my concrete wall outlined the figure of a tall man stepping next to me while my back faced them. Are you awake? The figure asked. From his voice and shadow, I could tell that it was my friend Bryce who would often come into my room unannounced. The buzzing sensation grew louder and louder the closer that he got to me. Being still upset from the prank earlier, I pretended to be asleep as a figurative fuck-off for him to leave me alone. Still on my side, Bryce just stood there for a few minutes, not moving or saying anything. I was expecting him to jump on the bed or nudge me awake, but he didn't. It was then that I decided to stop playing pretend and actually tell him to fuck off. But as I tried to turn around, I couldn't. I soon realized I was in full-blown sleep paralysis while on my side. Something I know can happen for others, but has never happened in the 16 years that I've been coping with it. You're not still mad at me for earlier, are you? I heard Bryce say in a taunting tone. My gaze was fixated on his shadow, on my wall, watching his unmoving figure. As I stated before, I was able to adapt growing up to my episodes and learned several tips to break my sleep paralysis if I ever got too uncomfortable. I tried every trick that usually worked, slowing my breathing, slightly moving my fingers and toes, scrunching my face, and even biting down on my tongue, but nothing helped. I was unmovable. I felt my eyes throbbing and my head pounding with this buzzing sensation the more I tried to break my paralysis. And then suddenly, Bryce started laughing, and not like a joking laugh, but a maniacal laugh with no break in sound. Just a consistent, unwavering, maniacal laugh. His shadow stood still for a few moments before slowly warping into something much larger. Bryce himself is a pretty tall dude standing about 6'4", but this thing behind me must have grown to nearly 7.5 feet tall, inches from touching the ceiling. With that, its laugh warped as well. It sounded as if the laughter was on an old record that began to slow down, getting deeper and deeper. At this point, I started freaking out and began hyperventilating. Why was it laughing? I could feel whoever or whatever was behind me inching closer as its size changed and it lightly brushed against my back. The hot breath emitting from this thing slightly swept my hair back and forth as if its mouth were hovering right over my head. The buzzing only intensified, making me feel like my head was about to burst. I felt helpless, repeating to myself that I wasn't scared and that whatever may be behind me was not welcomed. Still unable to move, every inch of my body was screaming to get up and run. And after what felt like 15 minutes, the laughter abruptly stopped and the shadow figure took the form of a very thin, tall man with the head too large for its body. And just like that, it walked down my hallway and out my barracks door. 
The moment that the sound of the door slamming closed echoed through my room. My body snapped out of its paralysis and the buzzing stopped. I turned around quickly and I saw that there was nothing there. As if nothing happened. And like clockwork, I immediately got a phone call from one of my younger sisters who lived across the country asking if I had been experiencing anything lately. She explained to me she was also napping during my entire episode and had seen and felt an unknown presence. She described that she had seen vivid images of a man in her dream. He had no distinct features, but was incredibly tall, and his head was extremely disproportionate to his body. He had no eyes or nose, but fashioned a large mouth that stretched to the furthest parts of his face. She told me his mouth was open as if he were yelling or screaming something at her, but I knew that it was laughing. Directly after waking up, she had the uncontrollable urge to call me to see if I was okay. I explained what I had encountered, validating what I had experienced and what she had seen. Not long after, my other sisters had messaged both of us, further validating what we felt, saw, and heard. Whatever it was had no innocent intentions and felt malevolent. This was real. I had never experienced sleep paralysis on my side. I had never experienced these figures speaking to me, and I had never experienced such an intense buzzing sensation before. This was uncharted territory for me, so naturally, I was scared. I barely got any rest that day, and later confirmed with Bryce that he did not come into my room nor ask any of those questions. Since then, I have had sleep paralysis sporadically, and eventually it came to an end when I got out of the military. I was going through therapy for the first time. I no longer continue any religious practices, but I do believe that evil entities engross themselves around negativity, and at the time of my episode, I was undergoing intense amounts of stress and trauma. I don't collectively feel spiritual energies like I did, while my sisters do still encounter them. I've moved away from my family for personal reasons and chose to confront my trauma instead. I like to think that my third eye has been slightly closed due to my emotional growth and no longer being vulnerable for energies to attach to. But that's not to say that I don't experience spiritual energies every now and then. I still continue to sleep on my back, but I turn my head to the side to avoid inducing any kind of sleep paralysis, period. I'll take struggling to fall asleep for an hour or two over inducing another terrifying episode in a couple of minutes, any day. And I'm glad I do. I'm sorry the story was a bit dragged out, but I felt like all of the details were needed to fully understand the fear that I felt. Maybe next time I can write about my sleepwalking escapades and how I unknowingly stood in a corner of a room for over two hours watching my cousin sleep. But to quote another podcast, to whoever or whatever stood behind me years ago, let's not meet again. Hi, I'm from the Philippines and would like to share an experience that happened when I was young. There are some memories that are blurry and difficult to explain since it was a long time ago, so please bear with me. 
Back in 2005, when I was five years old, my mother was requested to manage a new spa business in the city. So she decided to bring my two older sisters, my younger brother, and my auntie, leaving my father and two other siblings in our hometown. When we arrived at the place, it was still under construction since it was an old house. There was a caretaker and other workers present. The house had two stories, a basement and an upper area. It was quite big, but I didn't explore all of it and have forgotten some details due to the passage of time. I do remember the large house, the hallway with many rooms since it was built for a spa and that we stayed in the basement area. During the nighttime, as we prepared to sleep, we would hear a dragging chair and creaking footsteps on the wooden floor. We initially thought it was the caretaker and brushed it off. The following morning, my auntie asked the caretaker if he was the one moving the furniture around late at night. But he denied it. He claimed he had not gone to the upper floor and had slept early. The caretaker also shared that the house was haunted. He often heard footsteps on the second floor when there was no one inside and sometimes saw a woman wearing all white with very long dark hair. Nighttime always made me anxious and scared. To distract ourselves from the noises above, my auntie would turn on the radio every night and we would listen to music. After a few weeks, the haunting occurrences and sounds from upstairs stopped, and the construction of the building was completed. To celebrate the finished construction, my mother and auntie decided to throw a small party where they drank alcohol and talked all night. Meanwhile, I was playing with my siblings. At some point, my mother's co-worker, Rose, excused herself to go to the bathroom. When she didn't return, my mother became concerned and went to go check on her. To her shock, she found Rose on the ground with blood on the tiles. Rose's face was very red and her eyes were dilated and dark. She was also banging her head against the rim of the toilet bowl. My mother called for my auntie's help, and they brought Rose to the shower room to cool her down and clean the blood. Rose was in a wild state, desperately trying to break free from my mother's grip. She pleaded and cried, saying things that my auntie had been hiding, which was surprising since they weren't that close. Rose's behavior was erratic and strange. In order to calm her down, my mother and auntie tied her to a chair because she was acting violently toward herself. I was confused and scared when I saw Rose in that state, and I burst into tears. My auntie tried to calm me and my siblings by making jokes, but Rose continued muttering words we couldn't understand. I believe I either passed out or fell asleep because I don't remember what happened after that night.
The next morning when I woke up, I was terrified to find Rose sleeping beside me with bruises on her body and face. I quickly jumped out of bed and went to my mother. I overheard my mother and auntie talking about how Rose had seen a dark, shadowy man wearing a black, wide-brimmed hat in the bathroom before her strange behavior started. My mother is no longer in contact with Rose, and now, at 23 years old, recalling that time still sends shivers down my spine. Although I don't remember everything from that period in my life, the memory of those creepy, dilated black eyes that seem to look into my soul remains vivid. That story with Sophie Sergi was really sad, to say the least. Mm -hmm. It sucks that it took 29 years to find the guy who did it, but like the author said, I'm glad that there's at least some closure now. Yeah, definitely. And they finally found the Golden State Killer after 27 years. Yeah. It's always nice to see these cold cases finally getting solved. Absolutely. And the Zodiac Killer left some DNA on a stamp, so hopefully he's sweating bullets as technology improves. What are your thoughts on the movie Zodiac? Have you seen that one? I'm a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan, so yeah, it's a good one. It's long, but I like it a lot. I do too. I love that one. Um, I have a affinity for crime dramas that have to do with newspapers. That and Spotlight are two of my favorite movies. Yeah, and uh, Prisoners, another Gyllenhaal movie. Oh yeah, Prisoners is really good, really dark. Um, speaking of dark, the story that was shared with the show this week about sleep paralysis that I told was pretty intense. Now, I've had sleep paralysis on and on through throughout life, and we've talked about it in the past. I don't remember. Have you had like genuine sleep paralysis and or seen shadow people? I've had sleep paralysis maybe once or twice, but it didn't have any of the shadowy figures or the pressure on the chest or impending doom. Just a sleep awake state. That's about it where I couldn't move. Mm. Yeah, I've talked about the one where I had some felt like somebody was like shushing me, like pushing their fingers into my lips and my lips were actually moving. And My wife saw this and she was freaking out. You know, I feel like I've told a million stories on this show, but the one that stuck out for me that I don't think I've actually talked about on the show, if I have, I apologize, but in, in relation to the story that I shared about how he saw a friend materialize, he only saw their shadow, but he saw them materialize and they morphed into something else. That was pretty wild to me because I remember seeing a, a young girl when I was house sitting for my parents and all the weird stuff like the alien encounter with the weird black handprint outside of my window, that all happened at my parents' house. Every weird thing that happens to me always happens at my parents' house. Anyways, I'm house sitting for them, sleeping in their bed. I wake up and I can't move, but I can move my eyes. I look to my left, I'm on my back, I look to my left and there's like this young girl, like maybe 18, 19 years old and she's like dressed in emo attire, like early 2000s, uh, like dark eyeliner, like the the low rise tight jeans with the studded, studded belt. belt, like very yeah. stereotypical early 2000s emo kid attire, including hair and everything. And I didn't feel anything malevolent about mine. Mine was so peaceful. It was like she was just there watching me. 
and my sleep paralysis almost like watching over me because like I said, it, it wasn't malevolent. And she slowly just faded away and disappeared and there was nothing there. And I woke up out of my sleep paralysis. So while it didn't morph into anything, it was a person, not a shadow person. You know what I mean? It was like a ghost, not like the typical shadow person. Was she translucent at all or was it just a human full in the flesh? It's hard to remember because it's, you know, it was like a sleep paralysis experience and it was such a short experience and it was so long ago. I would say probably slightly transparent. Okay. That's how I'm remembering it. I don't know if that's actually how it was, but that's how I'm remembering it. But we all know our memories are kind of screwed up and we misremember all kinds of stuff. So it's hard to say. Yeah. Seeing figures during sleep paralysis is definitely scary, but a couple of the stories in this episode involved the author waking up to see an actual person staring at them. Yeah. And I I think that's one of the scarier, seemingly innocuous things. Exactly. Mine should have been scary because it was a person staring down at me. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I didn't feel any type of negative energy from this person. But damn, just waking up to somebody staring at you, standing over you. That's that's like one of my worst fears. It's a Funny, funny that we actually talk about that because I have a story. <laughs> I was a bit of a trickster back in the day. I still am, just not as much. No. But yeah, yeah, I know. I was talking to a friend about how paranoid I can be about personal security and all the supposedly excessive safety measures I take to fortify my house. Yeah. He was all like, nothing's going to happen to you. We live in Utah. Just lock your doors and call it good. Mm-hmm. So I told him somebody could easily break into his house with minimal effort. And he flat out challenged me to break into his house. <laughs> I know. I know. I thought he was kidding, but he was serious. And as you know, from all of our battles playing Mario Maker 2, going back and forth, stealing world records from each other, I can be a bit competitive. Did you break in? To make a long story short, yes. Wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I double-checked to make sure he was being serious, like a a white hat hacker getting permission from (laughs) a company to test out their servers or whatever. Um, But yeah, he said he doesn't have a gun, any big dogs, he lives alone. So there was no real threat there. So I ran with it. So how did you break in? Amateur move. He left his kitchen window unlocked. (laughs) So stupid. I know, I know. So I climb through the window and jump over his sink. And then I tiptoe into his room. And then I kneel down by the side of his bed and put my face about a foot away from his. And I poked him on the nose. He opened his eyes and he screamed. He didn't realize it was me. It It was hysterical. And I'm just rolling over, giggling like Mickey Mouse. And then he finally just groans and said, okay, good job. You can leave now. So I left. And for a little (laughs) PSA, lock your windows, people. Yeah, definitely lock your windows. If you listen to my other podcast, you know that's a must. (laughs) Your friend, like, almost beckoning you to break in on him at night, it's almost kind of fetishy. Like, he was like, oh, I hope you don't break into my home at night and into my bedroom and into my bed with me. <laughs> I almost climbed into bed and just yeah, wanted to have. fall asleep and wake up, but I wanted to scare him. Yeah. Maybe next time. I don't know if the invitation is still open. <laughs> so can I break into your house? Absolutely. We can play some board games. Hell yeah. What about phase 10? I know it's a card game, but I love <laughs> me some phase 10. I was visiting my family. Uh, and I've visited my family quite a bit in the last few weeks just due to some family stuff, but... 
we were playing phase 10 and my mom changes the rules. Like she takes out the skip cards because she thinks that it's mean. (laughs) And uh, I forget what the other rules she changed. It has something to do with like the number of rounds or something. I don't know. But uh, she changed all the rules and my aunts, her sisters make fun of her for it. But I kind of find it endearing. She just wants it to be like a, a friendly, fair game. No skipping each other. That's mean type thing. I, I did enjoy the game, but it was the same problem that both me and my wife have where I had to learn the new rules to play the new game. And maybe it has something to do with being older and having a hard time learning new things. But I have the hardest time learning rules to new games and board games that aren't, you know, obviously aren't video games. I just like my brain won't retain it. And I I get so frustrated trying to learn a new game. For instance, we bought this goofy movie board game that just came out just because it was like, oh, it's a goofy movie. It's a kid's game. We should be able to learn to play this in 10 minutes and just get started. I mean, multiple pages of rules and all these things that you have to keep track of. And the scoring was just so stupid. It was just like, why can't this just be like Candyland where I roll the dice or something and I move my character along I pick up a card and it tells me what I got or didn't get. You know what I mean? Yeah. Instead, they give you the D&D Dungeon Master's Guidebook and you have to memorize 300 pages. <laughs> yeah, you got you to beat Powerline to his concert or something. I don't know. It's weird. But yeah, I have a hard time with new with learning new games. I have a hard time with board games, period, anymore. I, I think I'm just ruined by video games, honestly. Yeah, that's why I stick to chess these days as far as board games. You learn the rules, you get good at it, mm-hmm. and that's it. That's it, baby. Who needs board games when we've just installed World of Warcraft? Let's hop on after this. Oh my God. Yeah. I know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to commit to this just because I can already see how much of my life it's going to consume. I, I, we I had I'm, a lot of fun. I'm down to continue doing it. I think we played like what a couple hours. I'm down to continue doing it as long as it's something that's doesn't take up any more time than we normally spend together playing video games. You know what I mean? Exactly. I, I can't either. The amount of time that we play Fortnite <laughs> rather than playing Fortnite and WoW, uh, and just forgetting about our families let's definitely uh as as long as we can do it in moderation i'll play but i I hear it's not necessarily possible to do that with wow yeah i feel like we cut it off at 3 a.m that was pretty responsible no i feel like (laughs) shit (laughs) i know same same but whatever sounds good let's get out of here all right thanks everybody this week you have heard staircase to nowhere by morgan millie by megan Haunting of an Unsolved Fairbanks Dorm Murder by Alana. Why Was It Laughing by Sora Bozu. And finally, Rose by O'Burry. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And don't forget to sign up for our Patreon if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bitrate for the best listening experience. Also, check out all of my new episodes of my other podcasts, Let's Not Meet a True Horror Podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the Old Time Radiocast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see y'all next week. Stay safe. Peace out. Don't let the ghosts and the ghouls disturb you, darling.